Frustrations. Frustrations. You know, you know, we all have them. You know, when things, they just don't go right. Or maybe they just don't go at all. You kind of have that feeling that you're trying to shovel water up a hill. And the more you shovel, the messier it gets. Have you ever been there? You know, and I, I would love... Sometimes I look at myself and I'm thinking, man, if you were just more spiritually mature, if you were just more emotionally mature, you might do better with this. And granted, there's been some times that I've had some crazy circumstances, some livid people and just some just just everything going haywire. And man, I still have a smile on my face and I'm still got that bounce in my step. But that's not always the case. You know, it's, it's kind of like you're in it, things aren't going right. It's like you've drank about three or four cups of garlic soup. And people can tell that you've been in it. They can smell it on you. Frustrations. And in this past year, for me, it's just like there's been a flock of frustration, a roost of them that have shown up. It's like they've brought their friends and their relatives and all their classmates out of the yearbook have come with them. And uh, with me up in Shelbyville with the bowling alley, there's been three P's that, that have caused me some frustration. One is just product, just finding product. Sometimes some very simple things don't show up. And sometimes you realize, hey, if you drive 45 miles up the road, I can't hold it for you, but we've got a bunch of it right now. And you, you make that drive. And as you're driving up, you're seeing someone walk out with these two gallons of paint and they're looking really suspicious, the paint. Then you go in, they says, we had it, but you just won't believe what just happened. We had a run on that paint. I says, you know, I totally believe that's what just happened, you know. <laughs> and the other thing is, is the, the price. You know, I, I, I hear them saying 7.5% inflation. I would rejoice to see 7.5% inflation. It's like, wow, you know, I'm looking at 20 and 40, you know, and it's like, this is crazy there's these little flanges i bought over the last year at the beginning of the year i remember buying them for about 250 yesterday they were 1190 something and 250 to 11 i think that's more than seven percent you know so so i have that but then the third component is kind of like personnel or just people i've i've seen some of the larger contractors sometimes show up with skeleton crews you know covid you know quarantine and then just no-shows, you know, it's just, it's, it's weird. And I've had a lot of conversations out in, in the public and in this foyer with different people say, Van, I'm needing someone to work. I'm, I'm having a hard time getting people to show up. I had a conversation here with, with someone back in the foyer about this individual had the product, plenty of product, and the price he'd already purchased. He, he was set up. He had the tools, everything ready to go. Not only that, but he had lucrative contracts like he had never seen before ready to go, but he lacked the personnel. And he couldn't fulfill the contracts. And after 20 years, he had to shut the business down. I'm thinking, boy, that's a, that's a tough story. Frustrations. And I kind of had this question, you know, kind of to God, God, do you ever get frustrated? You know, I don't think he struggles with the product or the price, but the personnel, the people issue. You know, I know we gather here this morning and, 
And many of you probably are here this morning that, man, I need to talk to God. I, I need to connect with God. It's kind of like, God, where are you? I need you now in my life, and I, I need you to do this. I need you to fix this. And the reason why I know you do that is I've been here many times like, God, help. I need you. God, where are you at? But how many of us have come to church to worship God, and to seek God and say, God, what can I do for you? this week i'm available what what can i do today let's read a few scriptures let's start out in ezekiel ezekiel twenty two thirty. so i sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on the behalf of the land or for the people that i should not destroy it but i didn't find anyone there was no one there standing in the gap for the people Isaiah fifty nine sixteen, he saw that there was no man and he wondered that there was no intercessor, no one there to pray, no one there to, to give voice, no one there to call people back to God. And you, I, I hear the heart of God here. Uh, Jeremiah 5, 1, run to and fro throughout the streets of Jerusalem. See now and know and seek her open places if you can find a man, if you can find anyone uh, that who execute judgment, who seeks truth, and I will pardon her. Isaiah 6, 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall we send and who will go for us? Then I said, here's Isaiah, here am I, send me. And I imagine God, he was probably pretty excited. There's someone, Jesus, Matthew 9, 36 through 38. But when he saw the multitudes, he just saw the mass of humanity out there. Going from city to city, these multitudes kept coming. He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary, weary, and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but there's not enough laborers. I, I think about farmers, you know, you, you know, sometimes you get frustrated because after you've harvested a field, you see, you know, something's missing and there's a, a trail of corn that hasn't been harvested. But can you imagine losing an entire crop because your equipment? Was it ready or because you didn't have the manpower? How sad would that be? And then there's something that seems kind of, you know, kind of, you know, well, just pray about it. There's not harvesters. Put the, put it back on God. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. Well, I'm just going to pray about it. You know, there's not enough harvesters. Let me pray about it. Check that off my list. But it's when we start praying, when we start truly praying and we start seeing sheep out there, people wandering around in darkness and people's lives that are disastrously falling apart. And we see young people just, you know, just, just lost out there, you know, with no place to go. When we really start praying for them, we start to think maybe I ought to do something about it. When we're in that prayer time, God messes with our heart. We're in a series, um, and I'm going to get around to this, where we talk about Abraham in a few, few moments here, but it's called Long Story Short. And we're looking at, at the big picture of the Old Testament and, and seeing how, how God is moving during this time. And, and we start in the book of Genesis in creation with Adam and Eve, this prized possession. And there is something that's going to play into Abraham in just a minute that I want to read, Genesis 1, 26 through 30. Then God said, 
let us make man in our image and according to our likeness and let them have dominion. Say the word dominion. Dominion. Say it one more time. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, over all the creeps. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Talking about the earth, subdue it, and then he goes back to that first statement he made, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This verse is so full. I mean, it's, it's like uh, I was watching someone uh, with the juicer yesterday, and they got two or three big bags of kale, and they probably got an ounce or two of juice, you know. Uh, this is so full that if you were to squeeze it, it was just like if you had two or three bags of this, and there's more juice than, you know, there's a lot in this verse. And these two words, dominion and subdue it, are real strong in the Hebrew language, there's a lot of meaning, and there's almost two parts. One of it is very aggressive. One part of it is very aggressive. Have dominion over it. Subdue it. And that picture is a picture of to conquer. And this is even before, uh, you know, it's the second time when they hear about the snake uh, under the foot. Because one part of this thing said, the subdue it is put your foot on its head, on its neck in authority. Knock down that power and subdue it. I, I think about how Jesus later on says the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And you see this aggressive side of taking dominion, of subduing it. But then you see another side of it, of a shepherd, much like Jesus talking about the sheep without anyone to give direction, anyone to lead. And you see the care, the love of that subduing dominion bring life in, protect, care for, nurture, and improve. And there's this kind of a picture in this verse. Another picture that comes out of this in the Hebrew language is this gate, that you are the gatekeeper. Here are the keys. I'm giving you the farm. And I will be back. We see, uh, we, we see remnants of this in Jesus' parable. He uses this in several different parables. There was a king, and he left, and he gave the authority of the farm or the vineyard to, to men and individuals. And he said, I will be back. And this is kind of the same picture with Adam. He says, I'm going to give you, the, give you the farm. Here's the gate. Here's the keys. You have dominion over it. You subdue. There's things you need to open that gate and let in, and there's things that you need to lock this gate and you throw out or you keep out. That's how strong this verse is. So we, we come into this, this, this thing where here's, it's almost like a lease, and you can keep out or whatever, but we see he's created in God's image. He's created like God. He has that authority that you need to take care of this, subdue, and have dominion. So we see this take place. And I want to read a couple other scriptures. Psalms 138.2. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. 
there's a God operates within the kind of like in truth and the legality of heaven and of his word that what he says is what he holds himself to it's not like he says hey I know I said that but I'm God I'm just going to do something different what God told Adam what he tells us in his scripture he's faithful to He's not going to go do something different just because he's God. Another very interesting scripture, and there's, there's quite a few scriptures like this, Psalm 78, 41. And again and again, they tempted God and, what's that next word? They limited God? It means God could have done more. God could have made a difference, but they limited the Holy One of Israel. And we see this again and again, that a lot of times God wanted to move, just like he was looking for someone to stand in the gap for the land, for the people, and they couldn't find anyone. They limited God. It says, if God says, hey, you're in charge, and if you want to involve me, you open the gate to me, and I'll show up. But, you know, we get that scripture that's in the New Testament. It says, submit yourself unto God and resist the devil. We get that backwards. So often we submit ourselves to the devil and we resist God. We lock God out of the situation. And, and we see this picture taking place. Mark 6, 5, here's Jesus. It said, he could do there no mighty work, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Jesus marveled at their unbelief. He says, I could do a lot more in this town, but... I can't. I, I can't. I, I only can do a few things because there was un, so much unbelief in this town. That's where a lot of people say, oh, we just need more of Jesus at our church. Well, if, we, if Jesus just walked in, boy, that would change our church. You know, it probably wouldn't. Jesus probably walk out and think, can't do anything there, you know. Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes we limit Jesus. We limit God. When I step back and look at the Holy Spirit moving the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, there's something about our need to seek and ask and press in. Old Test in the New Testament, you see that we're warned not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And lots of times we, we grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to move or, or we quench the Holy Spirit. God wants to do something through our life and it's like we, we pour cold water on it. Throughout history, we see this picture of God looking for men and women who will journey with him, who will seek and obey him. And I think about, you know, it's not like God's going to show up and say, hey, I'm going to transform Effingham and, 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 and Newton and Shelbyville. I'm just going to force Jesus into people's hearts where they've got to receive Jesus. Or I'm just going to take them over by the, the Holy Spirit and just all of a sudden they become my robots. And, and Jesus makes a contrast to the thief, the enemy. He comes, steals, kills, and destroys, and he possesses people. That's not the way the Spirit of God comes. He comes as we open the gate, as we invite him in. I think that's why the Lord's Prayer is so powerful That in that Lord's Prayer is that we pray heaven to earth. We say, hey, let me open up the gates. That will be done on earth as in heaven. We want you to move, and we open our lives to God. So here we have Adam. He's walking with God. He's made in God's image. He's given the keys. He's given that authority. But something happened when that serpent showed up. He didn't have dominion. 
He didn't put his foot on the head of the serpent and throw him out of the garden, but he yielded. And in essence, he gave his, some of his authority. I don't know how much, but he gave that authority over to that serpent. It's interesting, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, there's a statement, the God of this world, little G-O-D, has blinded and darkened their minds from the truth. And we realize that, wow, something's happened here that we've allowed in. And after Adam, everything kind of fell apart. God reset with Noah. And, and Noah, you know, he was kind of with God there for a little bit. And then he, him and his family walked from God. 422 years pass. And God's looking for someone. Second Chronicles tells us how the eyes of the Lord going to and fro, you know, throughout the whole earth to show himself strong. He's looking. And all of a sudden, a man named Abraham shows up onto the scene. It's, there's an interesting passage that, that has always personally stood out to me. It's in uh, Genesis eleven thirty one through 32. And it begins with Abraham or Abram's dad. It says, And Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, and his son, Abram, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from the Ur of the Chaldees to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205, and Terah died in Haran. And I just wonder if God was stirring on Abraham's dad. There was something going on there that he moved halfway to Canaan. He moved 600 miles and he stopped. The place where he stopped is called Haran. And the definition of that is a place of business or busyness. And so often I think maybe our families have started walking with God or maybe we've started walking with God and all of a sudden we get busy, we get distracted and we settle down, the journey is over. And that's where maybe you are today. Maybe you've had made some movement toward God but you've pretty much come to a stop. It's been years. I mean, you can look back and say, man, God really moved or you might be sitting here, man, I remember the days where, man, I was just so passionate and God was moving so strong but where is he now? Sometimes it's because we have stopped journeying with him. And then Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord has said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those that curse you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed now it's interesting that god begins to speak to abraham and he listens and he obeys and he begins this journey and when you and 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 we find that you know abraham is is 75 years old at this point it's not too old never too late and we see Abraham begin something where he starts listening to God and he starts journeying with God. And from Genesis 12 through Genesis 50, we start to see not only Abraham, but we start to see his family and his descendants 
learn to listen to God and obey. And, and they, they're far from perfect people. But it's interesting that Jesus in the New Testament, over 60 times, they refer directly to Abraham. They call his name out over 60 times in the New Testament. Paul, almost two chapters, he builds around Abraham and his faith. And I like to also say his faithfulness apart from the law, apart from do's and don'ts, that he stood out. Because not only did he have a faith, but it was a faithful, it was a part of his life. So I want to real quick just go over some observations that I note about this faith that shows up in Abraham that starts to move. Number one, we've already mentioned it. He listened. He made place. When you look at Abraham's life, he made place. He made quiet times where he listened to God. He listened, he obeyed, and he journeyed with God. He heard God's voice and God says, get out from among your family. Get out from where you're at and go into the land of Canaan. And he began this journey. And this always stood out to me. I, I remember, you know, um, I, I came to a place in my life where I was seeking God. Where do you want me to go? And I, this journey began. I, I remember I was out of college. I was working for UPS. Everything was perfect from the outside. Great job. Uh, great community of people. And I was listening to God and God says, hey, I want you to go to a Bible school which I'd always gone to these accredited you know, schools and I was real academic minded and I didn't want to go to that Bible school, but I listened to God and I went to that Bible school. Now I was out in that Bible school in Oklahoma and seeking God again and God says, I want you to go to Atlanta, inner city Atlanta. And I said, well, that's different. Followed year, I found myself in inner city Atlanta. When I got married, Laura came there for a while and we were there just seeking God and God says, I want you to go back with your family. And so we went back to Jacksonville, Florida with our family. We spent about three years there. We began to pray and seek God, and God says, you need to leave your family. And this is when that scripture stood out. You need to leave all your family, and you need to move. And God took us to rural, back-in-the-woods Georgia in a small county seat of about 2,000 people, smaller than even Newton. And, and God took us there, and for five years, we were there in training. Then all of a sudden, God says, I want you to go to graduate school. So we moved to Virginia, uh, Virginia Beach, our, our family there. And then just supernaturally, God spoke to me one time. He says, you're going to go to Illinois. And, and that same night he told me that, I got this letter from a church in New Hope, uh, you know, in Effingham, Illinois, that was looking for a pastor. And I, I journeyed out here. Then I was here about five years and things got tough. A lot of those frustrations started coming up. I says, God, I'm ready to journey. Take me somewhere else. Beam me out. And God says, hey, you're on the journey, but this journey, you're staying where you're at. About 10 years later, God, I'm ready to journey. He says, no, stay right. And I, I, I've had so many times and that, and journey doesn't mean that you take off, but sometimes journey means that stay where you're at, but keep moving with God. Second thing, he was not perfect. When we read, when we read about him and his descendants, they're not perfect people. And the other thing is he wasn't too old. So the first thing, he, he, he wasn't perfect. It's interesting that God says, leave your family, leave them all behind and come with me to Canaan. So he took Lot with him. And Lot, you know, he could have been about his same age. He was a nephew, but he, they could have been about the same age. And that created a lot of problems. So he wasn't perfectly obedient, but he kept moving with God. And, and, and he made a lot of stupid mistakes. The other thing, he wasn't too old. 75, most people are checking out. But you know, a lot of people are in this room. I'm too young. 
I'm just too young. You know, I, I got to wait a few years or, you know, I got to enjoy life a little bit. I got to sow some wild seeds. And, and then I'll hit that right time. There's never a right time. There's always a two something, too old, too young, or I'm too messed up. There's somebody in here today said, PV, you don't understand. I went off to college in my 20s and 30s. I disqualified myself, you know. I'm ashamed. I'm here this morning, but I'm ashamed if anyone, I can't do anything for God. Someone might find my, my text. Someone might get into my Twitter. I can't, I can't. No, too old, too young, too something. No, he moved on with God. Number three, his faith pleased God. His faith pleased God. I believe Abraham was answered to God's prayer. God says, I need somebody. I'm looking to him for, there's got to be someone. You know, what was it, 400 and some years? He's looking, there's got to be someone. And there's Abraham. Hey, I'll, I'll go, I'll go. And he followed God. And not only that, but it got on his family, this, this faith and faithful walk. We read a Hebrews 11.6, it's kind of like the Hall of Fame. This is Abraham. And his descendants, they caught hold of what faith was and that it was active, it was moving, it was obedient. Number four, his faith, and, and, I, and I, I put on here just, I, just to remind herself, it was an active, obedient faith. A lot of people think, well, I'm a man of faith. I, I believe in God. A lot of people believe in God, but he did say it was, it was, it was current. You know, I, you know, if our testimony is what happened when we were 18 or even five years ago, our testimony is five years old, faithfulness is a daily thing. What's your testimony of what happened this week? What's going to be your testimony when you go to bed tonight where you saw God, you listened to God, and you, didn't, you walked in that, and, and he did that. And his act of obedient faith caused him to live a unfair advantage. He lived an unfair advantage. You look at the men of faith, and man, they didn't do just little things with God, but they, they saw big things happen with God. I want to tell you, God's not a God of equity. Everything's not equal. He is a whosoever God for whosoever, but when you start walking with God and you're faithful, it goes off the charts for faithful people that are active with God. It's just like, where did Abraham come from? I mean, Moses, they got all bent out of shape and jealous of David. Every, everyone that, that started walking this faith, it was an unfair advantage. Look at, and this is scriptural. Jesus talked about this, Matthew 25, 28. So take the talent from him and give to the one who has 10 talents. Oh, no, 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 no. You need to take that 10 away from him and you need to give, you know, seven or eight back to the person that had one talent. God doesn't work that way. He's been unfaithful that one. I'm not going to leave one with someone that's unfaithful. I'm going to pile on to the person that's faithful. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from. That's where a lot of people just dwindle out or, you know, just go downhill with their faith. They haven't done anything with it. Their testimonies, you know, six months old or five years or 15 years old. And they, I remember where I could just feel God's presence during worship. I, I re 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 realized God would do stuff in my life and he would use me. And it's just like my whole Christian faith. I don't know what's wrong with the church. The music must be the preaching, especially they got PV up there today. How can I grow in a situation like that? It's just going down, down, downhill, you know? 
But it all boils to this thing. Are you being faithful with God giving? Are you saying, hey, here am I. I'm coming to church to say, God, what do you want me to do this week? I'm waking up Monday morning saying, God, it's a new day. Is there someone, something I can do for the kingdom of God? Number five, his faith connection with God had long-term eternal impact. When you live like this, it just doesn't affect this generation, but it affects generations to come. It affects people in the long term. Genesis, let's just read this real quick, 17.1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I'm the almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. This is before he had his kid. This is right before his wife got pregnant and they had his kid. Verse 7, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you into their generations. An everlasting covenant to be a God to you and your descendants after you. Now, there's a story that shows up. And this is what I want to focus on, just real strong, just for the next few minutes. It's, a, it's not a good bedtime story. It's not a good campfire story when you and your son go off camp and say, hey, I want to read something to you from the Bible. <laughs> and this story's always troubled me, you know. Genesis, and we'll read parts of it, Genesis 22, 2 through 5. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac. This is the son he's waiting for. He didn't get till he was 99. And some time has passed since he's been 99. This, they, he called him laughter because it was such a crazy thing. It was such a blessing to receive a child in his old age. So Isaac's got some sides to him. He says, now take your, your son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Like I said, this isn't a good bedtime story for your kids or a campfire story. And Abraham said to the young man, he, he takes this journey, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. I like this verse. And we will come back to you. He's leaving them there, going to sacrifice his son. And he makes a statement, but we will come back to you. In the New Testament, it said that Abraham reckoned that God was strong enough to resurrect him. So Abraham took the wood and burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. He put the, the wood on his shoulder, on his back, kind of like a cross. I just throw that out there just as a thought. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father! And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife. He tie, had tied his son Isaac to the altar. And he took out the knife to kill his son. But as he's coming down, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad, lad or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God. I mean, he was in the motion. He was honoring God, and he was bringing that knife down on his son, and God stopped him. And he said, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And the New Testament says he counted that as righteousness. And this goes back to the picture of Adam, where he had the gate. It was like God was limited on what he can do unless we open the gate to him. And here God is actually cutting a covenant 
between heaven and earth and an eternal covenant where all people could be children of Abraham through faith. He was opening up the doors. This was the true blood sacrifice where he counted his righteousness as he's bringing that knife down and he stops him. He says, now I know. And it somehow legally fulfilled that requirement that it gave God the right 1,700 years later to say, I'm going to bring the lamb and the lamb is going to be my only son, the son I love. And he's going to pay the price that Adam brought and sent this world. He's going to pay the price and he is going to be that burnt sacrifice. Jesus died on that cross and he was taken into the abyss of this earth. And I want to tell you, Satan and all that demonic power, all their anger they had toward God, all the revenge they had for God, all the, you know, bent up hostility they had for God was poured out upon Jesus. You know, that was the second death. I mean, it's just, just coming down upon Jesus. He became that burnt sacrifice. Everything that was in Jesus was being killed, being tortured by that demonic power to fulfill the requirement of sin and death. And when Satan had him at his lowest point and had destroyed him what he thought was completely from on high, God said, it is enough. Jesus had met that requirement. It is finished. It's enough. And the power of God came down from the heavenlies through that gate because of what Abraham had welcomed and invited in into Jesus' body in that abyss. And Jesus got off that deathbed and his first step went right onto the head of the serpent. And he crushed that serpent right there. His hand reached out and grabbed the keys, that authority of the gate, and he headed back to his father. I only hear a few. Yeah. Woo! I don't know about you. What a moment in history. But it started because of a man called Abraham that dared to have not only faith, but a faithfulness to obey. That's, that's, that, that's that unfair advantage. Incredible, crazy things will happen for all eternity if we would dare be like our father Abraham who, who, who was in the hall of faith where we get up and we listen and we obey and we journey with God, all of a sudden things begin to drastically change. And God says, my prayers are being answered. And today we got that good news and we can't sit on it. We can't be a church that, oh, we gather, oh, we gather, we worship God, we gather and we ask God, I need your help, I need your help. We need to be a church that comes together and asks God, what do you want us to do? Let's get practical about this, just real quick, real practical, you know, how does this take place? How should this change our life? Uh, you know, one thing I like to say, and, and this is one of our staff values, is it comes out of our overflow. We need, if, if Sunday morning is all we're getting, we are starving. We need to carve out some times because of what Jesus did. Carve out some time in your day, either in your morning or your night or Daniel three times a day, where you get with God and you get in the word of God. Because there's a lot of voices out there. You always hear some, some crazy something happen. Well, I heard this voice, or God told me to do murder all these people. I'm thinking, well, the word and the spirit agree. 
That's not really scriptural. That's why we need to get in the Word of God. And as you get in the Word of God, lots of times you hear, hear that voice. We need some, some overflow time where we get with God on a regular basis, get in His Word. Right now we've got some men and women's Bible studies that are looking at how to study the Bible, how to hear, how to apply the Bible. You know, maybe get a part of one of those things and just learn how to soak that up. The other thing that we know that when we move with God, it involves people. God's voice and God's direction, it involves people. It's, it's not about stuff, but it's, it, it starts to involve people, loving them, serving them, laying down our lives and making plans to help other people where we fervently pray for other people and we, we, we get a heart to reach them. You know, in, in this series that we, we've just, we're working on where it came out, who is your one? Is there someone out there that God's put on your heart that you need to disciple, that you need to reach? Or have we even done that? Join a team of maybe a group of people that, that are seeking to maybe reach some young people or children or some ministry where you can say, hey, let me get on a team and do something. There's power going out two by two. Um, when you're in school, this, this is a big thing. Sometimes just lift up your eyes. When you're sitting there eating, just lift up your eyes and look around the cafeteria. What do they call it? Cafeteria? What do they call your lunch place? cafeteria cafetorium or whatever just kind of look around and just and just look around back away from your food and and see and i believe the spirit of god can show you i don't know what's that person's hurting that person has never ate lunch with anyone no one's ever sat down to eat lunch with that person this person over here yeah i remember their parent died just last week or was put in prison and just begin to to look out over those scattered sheep and say god what can i do maybe get a couple friends say hey we don't want to just keep coming to school that's just boring going to school but let's go there to serve god maybe two of us what can we do in our school you know we need you know when we go to walmart say hey god i'm going to walmart is there anyone i need to talk to anyone i need to encourage anyone i can serve Look out over your neighborhood. Just, just open your blinds sometimes and begin to look out over your neighborhood. You can sit there and pray, God, send people to minister to him and her and them. Maybe it's you. You know, that's, that's where the daggum us-induced boredom is killing us because we're not walking with God. Mission trip. You know, begin, begin praying. You know, you know, in Newton, you know, it's like, what's your mission there? Shelbyville, we're, we're starting to just, a, there's a ton of people to be reached. And it, it, we don't want to just bring in people, just entertain them, but we want them to help find that mission where every day that it's, a, God, what, what can I do today to serve you? So we're going we're gonna to close this out. And we're going to have, we're going to have a song sung and, uh, and, uh, and I'm going to probably be doing a long prayer here because <laughs> during this long prayer, some things are going to get moved around. So we're going to pray, and we want to give you time just to get serious and say, God, I'm going to dare ask you, what can I do for you today? And, what we, and it, it shouldn't be just a Sunday thing. It needs to be a Monday thing, Tuesday thing. That's what we're about. We're the new creation. We're called to lay down our life. We're called to sacrifice what's before us. We're called to serve with all our might. And I want us to do that. And it, it could be simple. Sometimes I've, I've had this happen like, Lord, what can I do today? And it's in the morning. I get up early and I'm walking around the kitchen. What can I do today? What do you want me to do? And sometimes God says to me, man, why don't you do those dishes? 
before Lori sees them. Why don't you get those dishes? You know, why don't, you, why don't you sweep the floor some after Lori wakes up? But why don't you why don't you why don't you sweep the floor? You know, and I've had times where God says, you know, just kidnap one of the kids. Just it's just gonna be me and one of those kids. Just just hang out with them, and that's where powerful things will happen. God knows, and there's some people desperate. I I was talking with some of the staff the other day and. Pray for my kids. I don't think they're going to step into a church. I need some Christian that listens to God that will come alongside them. Won't be in a church and love them. Be their friend and be that example. And that's what we did. There's, 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 there's grandmothers that have passed away that have prayed for their children and they work with you. You go, to, you, you go to school with some of them. Some of them are your neighbors and there's been a grandmother that has wore out her carpet praying, God, send someone to minister the gospel to my child, my grandchildren. And the someone, it's us. And I don't want to go through a you know, 430-some years where God couldn't find anyone to walk in faith. I want him to find a bunch of us here today. So let's take some time. We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing one last song, and then I'm going to get up here and say one last thing. Heavenly Father, I so thank you for your presence. I so thank you for your son that you healed and you restored the way back to you where we can boldly come to your throne of grace that we can have fellowship with you we can walk in the cool of the evening we can walk in the freshness in the morning and fulfill that desire of your heart when you created us to have fellowship with us to see us walk in your image and your likeness lord and and dearly father i thank you in these next few moments that you're going to make it clear to the people that would dare ask that there's something that you want to do through them this day and each and every day that we're willing to seek you. In Jesus' name, amen.